Oh man, hey, so I have the absolute privilege of introducing our kind of guest speaker tonight. Uh, this person, he is actually on our young adult staff. And uh, this guy, he runs all of the, the groups here for young adults. So we have all sorts of groups that meet all throughout the year, all throughout the week, and he oversees all of that. And he's an awesome person. Uh, th this guy, he interned for the church a few years ago, and he is uh, genuinely uh, such a, an amazing man of character, an amazing man of integrity. This is someone who every time that I, I, I begin to prepare a sermon, I'm like, bro, help me. Uh, give, give, give me some thoughts. This person knows the Lord. He knows the Word of God, and he, and he has a deep conviction about his relationship with the Lord. Uh, not only that, but he has a deep conviction for, for men being the men that God has called them to be and walking in that. And so when I was praying through this night, and I was thinking about who, who's the best person for this stage tonight, uh, there, was, there was no one else that came to mind but this person. Uh, and so can we please give a warm welcome to the one and only Keaton Tucker, other known as Meaton. Come on, give it up for him. Zach, you did it. One trip. How we doing, guys? How are we actually doing tonight? Hey, there's no girls here. There's no one to impress. You can get a little wild. How are we doing? There it is. There it is. There it is. Uh, Andrew, thank you for that introduction. Um, thank you for being the pastor you are. And um, thank you for this opportunity. I'm, I feel very, very honored. Uh, Andrew said something about me that I just want to say up top. Um, he said I was a man of character and integrity, and I like to think that I am. But if you were to ask anyone in my life 10 years ago, or even five years ago, if that was the case, I would say, they would say, absolutely not. I was absolutely not a man of character at, in any way, shape, or form. And then God came and he saved my life. Like he really did. He saved my life through this church. I love this church. Um, through Sean, I was actually in my apartment in Abilene, Texas, and I got saved by God, by his grace. And I started like this path towards uh, being a man of character and a man of God in this church. And I interned for Andrew. And believe it or not, Andrew's the one who told me I couldn't work here. And then now I get to work for him again. That's pretty awesome. But I've been at this church uh, since 2014. And I, I don't plan on leaving. Um, I plan on being here for a very, very long time. And tonight, I want to talk to you about being a man of God. And I have great news. I'm not talking about porn. Yeah. yeah. Y'all thought you were getting a porn talk tonight, right? No, no porn. I have this verse I'd like to read to you guys. This is my life verse. I have a, a vision statement that I review every so often, and, and it's built around this verse. Um, it's out of 1 Samuel. It's one of the first descriptions that we get of David. And the, it was written after David's life. First and second Samuel is an account of David's life written after his life. But they put the description of how David is remembered right at the beginning. And this is right after he's been anointed king. And his first task is to become the person who plays the liar for the, the king, for Saul. And this is how he is described. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing. He is a man of valor. A man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. 
I've titled my sermon tonight, The Man I Want to Be. Hey, can we pray real quick? Father God, um, thank you for all these men in here. Uh, thank you for what you're doing in their hearts. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And Father, I know in this, at this time in my life, I need you more than I've ever needed you. And I'm, I'm sure there's many people in here. So I ask that you come, you speak individually to each of us where we are. You show us what needs to go and what you need to put inside. We love you. Thank you for your son and your Holy Spirit. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> my dad is probably the greatest man that I've ever met. And I know that everyone would probably say that about their dad, but my dad could actually beat up your dad. He is about this tall. He's been bald since he was 26. He had a gross mustache until I was about 20 years old, so I didn't know what he looked like without it. He claims, he claims that in high school he could strict press 275 pounds over his head, which has gotten heavier and heavier the more he's told the story. He claims that he ran track in church shoes, which is just like, I don't even know if we wear church shoes, kind of like what you're wearing right there. And he ran an 11 second, 100 meter dash in, in church shoes. He won every meet. He claims he once bit through a shoe, which my, I asked my aunt and he actually did bite through a shoe to punish her like right into her foot which is kind of, kind of crazy. But <laughs> my dad is not great with words, but he, when he speaks, everyone in the room listens. He is an authority at his church and in our family that you don't get by position, but by walking with God and by staying in one place for a really, really long time. My dad never missed breakfast. He never missed dinner. He started his own business so that he could be a family man. He coached me in baseball for 10 years. Uh, he, he was my brother's scoutmaster for 10 years, all the way through high school. He did not miss a football game, a baseball game, an award ceremony for school, an award ceremony for football, or anything that I can ever remember. My dad was very, very present in my life, and he's, he's the greatest man I know. He's been married to my mom 36 years. 35. I think it's 36 years. 36 years, one woman, and he's the only man in his family who has ever done that. He's the only one. And I know, I, I reckon that, like, I have, a, I have a privilege with the father that I grew up. And, that, like, I got to give credit to my mom. If I could give a sermon about my mom and the things I've learned from my mom, I would. Um, but we're talking about my dad tonight. And I recognize that not everyone had the upbringing that I had. I didn't know any different. My dad was just always around. But I want you to know something about my dad. His dad was not around. Actually, his mom and dad split, and then his mom went on to have three other husbands. He, my dad was kicked out of his house at 16 years old. He was living on his own when he was 18, had his own job, his own bills, and he made a decision not to go the way of his parents and to, um, to make some changes. He made a choice. He got plugged in at a church, and he surrounded himself with men of God and decided, I'm going to live for God. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. He's, I'm going to be a man of character, and I'm going to do everything I can to live the way I think God would have us to live. And one of the things I love about my dad, and what is kind of contrary to uh, this culture, is my dad was not success-oriented. I very much am, and I'm, trying to get it, I'm actually trying to get it out of me. My dad was family-oriented, and one of the things I learned from my dad growing up is that, God, or that uh, my dad believed that God's grand master plan for the world is that transformed people— 
start amazing families that serve and love God, and then they spend their lives serving in their church and in their family raising kids that love and serve God, and then by the, at the fourth part, that's when they start getting into their vocation and their work. And right now, we even society at large, Christian culture at large, is really putting a lot of emphasis on what you will do with your life in your work, and work is good. It just said about David, he was skillful in playing, he was good at what he does. Yeah, you should be good at what you do. I, I, I agree. But the older and older I've gotten, because I have been so success-oriented and, re- and, and realized that like, my greatest desire is not to be rich, famous, and powerful, um, the more I've realized that life is not actually what you think it's about. It's just, it's just not. I went to school. Have you guys seen the, movie, or the show Suits on USA? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, that came out right when I was in college. I went to Abilene Christian, dropped out. But um, I went to Abilene Christian, and I was a finance and accounting major. My, the plan was to uh, finish in the top five in my class, and I was on track to do that. And then I was going to move to New York, and I start working for a bank until I got to go to NYU um, to go to get my MBA because I wanted to be an investment banker. I wanted to be Harvey Specter in the investment banking world. I wanted to wear suits. I wanted to have a slick haircut. I wanted a driver, and I wanted a lot of money with women walking out of my apartment. That's what I wanted. And a lot of that is still in me. Now, I definitely don't want women walking out of my apartment, but I do want to be rich and powerful, and that part of me is trying to die, and it's been trying to die since God came and saved me because I started seeking him, and he gave me new desires, and I realized that like, the greatest desire of my life is to be a father and to be a husband. And right now, can I just be honest with you? I'm like in, I feel like I'm in a desert season. We're going to talk about some desert seasons tonight. And I think one of the things God is trying to get out of me is that ambition. Because I have been so focused on, on, on what God is going to do through me where I work that it's actually been driving me crazy. And I didn't think for a while that it was going to happen in this place. So I started looking to other places. Where can I be powerful? And, like, where can I be like powerful and well-known and also make good money? Because I would like a nice house and a nice car. But it was contrary to the desires of my heart and what I learned from my father. My dad, he started his own business. He could have grown it into some big thing and made a lot of money, but he probably wouldn't have been present because starting a business takes a lot out of you. It takes, it's a lot of work. And if you want to start a business, you should. If you feel like God's got a call in your life, don't, I'm not dogging careers. I'm, I'm not. I just think we, gotta, I, we need to put them back in their proper place. My dad, though, knew that if he wanted to have an impact on the kingdom of God, he knew he needed to be home. He needed to raise his kids. Fortunately, he got three boys. Um, He didn't get any girls. He wanted a girl named Rachel. Um, I was supposed to be Rachel. Colin was supposed to be Rachel. And Dylan was supposed to be Rachel. And instead, he got us. My poor mom really wanted a girl. But... (laughs) My mom's from a little town in Kansas, a little farm town. She has four sisters, and she got three boys. All of her sisters were like, they were all homecoming queens, like two years in a row. Like all of them, all four of them. My mom's a lady. And instead, she got us like spitting milk at at dinner and and talking in office quotes. But my dad, because there's no other way to talk, right? She wanted to have discussion. We wanted to quote The Office and other, other shows. But my dad knew I got, I got to be at home because I got to raise my kids because I know that if I raise my kids well, they're going to go out into the world and they're going to raise families. And then I'll have six, seven, eight amazing 
grandkids who are raised by, by men and women who fear God. And I can't speak much for me because I, I, that's, that's a little weird, but I can tell you that when we go visit my brother Colin in York, Nebraska, it's a little town up north at the school he works for, um, he's head of student life, so he's got a great title. But every time we go up there, no one talks about how good Colin is at his job. They talk about his work ethic because work ethic is important. But there are every time we go up there, we meet at least 20, 20 or 30 people who talk about the type of man Colin is and how much he, of an impact they've had on his life or he's had on their life because of the man he is. Nothing else. Dylan, Dylan's in that back corner back there. He's the tallest of us. It's not saying much, but he is the tallest of us. He's also probably in a, hey, but I love you. You're probably the one out of all of us, the one with the most character, integrity, and leadership potential. So don't you give, don't you give up on that. Don't you give up on that. Dylan, he somehow, he walks into a job and within six months, he has a promotion. He was a manager of men's warehouse when he was like 19 years old. He had keys and everything. Like, who does that? And they went to First Bank with no degree, and he started working with some of the VPs there. And I'm just like, what are you doing? I'm like waiting tables when he's working in this big bank. And no one, no one talked about Dylan. Every time we met people from work, no one talked to Dylan or talked about Dylan and how good he was at his job. They didn't talk about his future and ambition. They talked about the type of man he was. Talk about the type of man he was. And right now, we're living in a society where we've got a lot of problems. We really do. We, like, I read this book. It's called The Boy Crisis. And it was one of the most enlightening books I've ever read about what's going on with, with boys in our nation at this time. And they did the, all these studies looking at, like, um, what's leading to high school dropouts, what's leading to um, the crazy amount of prescription drugs that, like, people are addicted to, especially young kids, the ADHD or ADHD and ADD, teen suicide. They started looking at um, teen pregnancy. They started looking at all of these different things and they found one thing that, went, that correlated across all the boards and it went across um, economic status, it went across race, culture, it went across everything that you could probably segregate people by and the one thing was dads weren't at home. That's the one, one thing. Teen suicide is highest it's ever been. Dad's not at home, highest it's ever been. Mass shootings, highest it's ever been. More dads are not at home. And every single one of the mass shootings come from families where, where like dad hasn't been at home. And I don't mean he left because of divorce. He, just, he, wasn't, he was either divorced or he was at work. And I wrote this statement down and, and you might think this is bold, but I, I, I think... I think this is right. When men don't do what men are supposed to do, the world falters. And right now we have never been in, 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 a, in a time in, a, in history where we needed men to do what men do. And it's not conquering Wall Street or corporate worlds. Those are fine if you wanna do that. Those people need to be reached too. But it, it's, it's being a father and being a husband. You know why, why, why divorce rate is so high? Because men don't do what men were supposed to do. God, even if you're not a believer, God puts a woman in your life for, for, you, for you to take care of her, to raise her kids. And she, will, she may date you because of your personality and your ambition and your goals and because you know what you want in life. That's awesome, but it will not keep you around when you start having kids. What will keep you around, what will keep her around is your character. How you can raise your kids, how you take handle your household, all of those types of things. And these are things that we need to be working on as men that, and like, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not, I'm 28. I'm just like you. Andrew told, gave, me, gave me permission today. He's like, hey, just be a 20-something. I'm like, all right, cool. I've always wanted to be older than I am. Like, 
yeah, I don't have all the character that I, I, I want. Not yet. But there are some things that I can do to get there. And I want to share with you some of those things, things that my dad taught me, things that um, I've learned from the scripture by going through that with my dad. And I want to tell you those, and then I've got a charge for you guys tonight. Okay? So point number one. The man you want to be. Oh, and I, I do want to say this. I can't tell you, Andrew can't tell you, Sean can't tell you what type of man you're going to be. That, you, that's between you and God, and you've got to decide. And once you decide what kind of man you want to be, you want to be like, what, when you decide that, you get to like, walk in it and start doing some of these things. But until you have a little bit of direction, until you have a vision for the type of man that you want to be, let's get that first, and then let's start doing these things, okay? So point number one, know what you believe. I've got a little illustration here, man stuff. Um, here's what I mean by know what you believe. A lot of us, we know that we believe in God. So we've got our little, and that's good. We know that we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, and that, that's good. And, and Jesus said we should build our life on him. So we get our... Or what our belief, and it's important to know, everything you believe will drive your action, and your action becomes your character. No man of God, no man in history has ever been known for what he thought or what he believed unless it was put into action. And right now, we live in a society where everybody wants to talk about what they think is right, but no one wants to do anything. It takes guts, and it takes the spirit of God. It takes grace to actually step into and to act out on what you believe. I'll tell you one of the things I believe. I believe that when I wrong somebody, I have an obligation to go tell them that I was wrong. I had to do it today. It was horrible. It was so hard. Like, it takes so much humility, and I don't like doing it, but I, I believe that it's the right thing to do. But so we have oh, here, I believe in God, and then other things start happening in life, and suddenly I don't know what I believe. Y'all ever gone through a breakup? You ask 100 friends, and you Google how to handle it? And everyone has different advice for you. You've got your one friend who tells you you need to like block her, delete her, do everything you can. And you've got that other friend that says you need to show up at her door with flowers. You don't need to do that second one, that's for sure. That won't work. Maybe take ownership for what you did in the relationship. You ever um, been at a place you probably know you shouldn't have been and you're like, man, I could have a third drink. What does God say about alcohol? I'm not against drinking at all, but like, it's pretty easy to like give in and suddenly you find yourself in enough situations. If you don't know what you believe, everyone will want to tell you what you believe and your life will kind of look like this, but at least I still believe in God. This is what the Bible says about, about this. This is over in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four. It says this. So Paul is Paul's describing what it's like to grow to the fullness of the, matru, uh, to the maturity of Christ, to, uh, um, to full manhood. And he says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's the thing about lies. They sound like the truth. You can talk about money. You can talk about sex. You can talk about... Uh, dating, you can talk about pretty much anything and someone's going to have an opinion if you don't know what you believe. And again, I can't tell you what to believe. I hope 
that you are founding what you believe by what's written in here. This book right here, half of it, more than half of it is 5,000 years old. The other half is about 2,000 years old. And it is, there is a belief in, in, uh, in Judaism that human nature has not changed in nearly 5,000 years. And I'm going to have to say, I don't agree with, or I, I do absolutely agree with that. Human nature has not changed in 5,000 years. We have a lot more technology and a lot more stuff, but human nature has not changed. Everything in here is useful. This is God-breathed, useful for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped, ready for every good work. That's what this says right in here. And so you got to know, like, you got to ask yourself, okay, what do I believe about? And then see, see, what, see what the word of God says. What does the word of God say? So you start to build your foundation. What does God say, first and foremost, about you? What, is, what does he say about conflict? What does he say about how to handle anger? Anger is prevalent. What does God say about money and anxiety? Those two are very closely correlated. What does God say about telling people what to do versus asking them? What does God say about using words to manipulate people to get what you want? One I used to struggle with a lot. What does God say about himself? What does God say about taking a day of rest instead of working 24-7? Among other things, ask yourself these questions. Start to let these, let these beliefs hit your mind. And when, when you start to put them into action, because until you've put them into action, they haven't permeated your being, you don't have a full foundation. But as you start to explore and put these things into action to start to know what you believe, not what I tell you to believe, not what Andrew tells you, what you believe, but guided by the Spirit of God and the Word of Scripture, suddenly things come up and you're like, no, that sounds pretty good, but I actually know what I believe in, so I'm going to go, I'm going to do it my way. I know, I, not my way, but God's way because it's in me and I know that it's right. I know what I believe. Point number two. It's point number one, know what you believe. Put it into action. Number two, become disciplined. Become disciplined towards the man I want to be. Now, when I say discipline, I do not mean the um, very prevalent but kind of awkward morning routine uh, shenanigans that's going on out there where they say you need to wake up at 4.30, meditate for an hour, go for a run, journal about it, um, eat a healthy breakfast, get, uh, read a chapter of a book, maybe two, affirm yourself with how awesome you are, and then go to work by 8.30 and enter a flow state to, to, your, uh, to your little utopia of success. That's not what I mean. That is, <laughs> that is nonsense. Get on YouTube, type in morning routine. Everyone will tell you what you need to do, and it sounds kind of like that. And uh, that, that's not what I mean by discipline. What I mean by discipline, discipline is the ability for you to rule over your flesh instead of your flesh ruling over you. It's not an activity. It's your, it's your ability to rule over your flesh instead of ruling your flesh ruling over you. Your flesh is filled with desires that aren't actually good for you, believe it or not. One of mine, I love donuts. Like, I, I do. I, every time I go to a new place, I try to find a donut shop that's, like, unique to that town so I can try a new donut. Um, I tried one over near DU. I forget what it was called. Zach would know. They had these little, they're so good. Oh, blue corn donuts changed my life. They're the, they're the best donuts I've ever had. 
But I know that if I start indulging in foods that are not good for me, um, I'm not going to get the results I want. And I do, I want to say something about it's mind, body, and spirit. You are a body, you are a mind, and you are a spirit. That's what the human being is made of. And being disciplined in all of them matters. Yes, you should take care of your health. You should work out and eat real food. You should not eat too much sugar and cope with Doritos. You should take care of your mind. You need to take your thoughts captive. Be disciplined in your mind. And so that you're not like, you ever been like really agitated with somebody at work? I bet your thought life for the last month has been terrible towards that person. And you haven't been doing what Paul said, where he said to focus on whatever is good, lovely, true. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things because the human mind tends towards what's wrong. With the human body, working out, I would way rather sit on my couch than ever go work out. I think there's probably been five times in my life that I had a desire to go for a run or even work out. It sucks, but I'm sitting on the couch is way easier and the bo human body tends towards complacency. That's, that's like a normal thing. But I know that because one of the desires of my heart is to play baseball with my kids when I'm 40, it's important that I take care of my health now. Now, I wanna play baseball with my kids when I'm 40. I remember the day that my dad could no longer throw a baseball. I was 13 years old. I didn't play baseball after I was 14. And I'm not saying that's the reason why. Actually, the reason why is because I didn't want to have to try out. Never had to try out in my life. Was, and uh, I didn't want to do that. But then I still remember the day my dad was no longer my coach. He couldn't throw a baseball with me. Your health, and I, I do want to, your health may not matter to you that much right now. And that's, that's fine. But it will matter to your wife. Hey, in you're going to get married. Like 98% of all people eventually get married. You're probably going to get married. You're gonna be a husband someday. You're probably going to be a father. That's probably going to happen. You don't, I know it's probably like, it's like the same thing, like, oh, who am I gonna date? It's like, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. But because you're gonna be a father someday, there's some things we wanna start thinking about in order to get back or to be prepared for that moment. And one of them is your health because your health will matter more to your wife and to your kids with every year you get older. And it's very hard to correct health the later and later and the more you put it off. So yeah, be disciplined, go to the gym. With your spiritual life, pursue God. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I haven't pursued God in the last four months one time, except for two weeks ago when I had a conversation with my dad. And I, I don't I really know what was going on, but I just didn't. And I felt the fruit of it. And it, it was horrible. And I ran back to God as fast as I could. But very rarely do I ever actually feel like reading my Bible or praying or worshiping or doing anything that would make me, or getting together with a group of guys to like talk about scripture. One of the first things I did when I realized I hadn't been pursuing God is because I've been trying to do it alone. So I started a guy's Bible study on Monday mornings. I had to, I needed it, I needed it. I gotta be seeking God because I, the man I wanna be is a man of God and a man who's not seeking after God doesn't have the ability or, in it or anything inside of him to lead a wife or a family or even his church or even do like the job I do. I don't know how unbelievers do it. I made it four months before I was exhausted. Be disciplined in seeking the Lord. And now with, with discipline, I wanna say one thing because it is easy to be like, to go home and be like, I'm gonna be disciplined in this, 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 and this. That's, and then a week later, you're back to where you started because behavior change, becoming disciplined is a, is a process. So I have a challenge for you guys. 
one, I want you to just try one discipline. It doesn't take hardly any time. It's also one of the most difficult ones to do. When your alarm goes off in the morning, get up. Get out of bed. Do not hit snooze. You have just gone from the most comfortable position known to man, the pillow with the comforter over you in the winter. It's amazing. And it, when you take that comforter off and you tell your flesh, no, I'm getting up because that's what men do. They get up and they get ready for the day and they go to work. And you're telling your flesh, I don't need more sleep. I'm, I'm going to get up and be about my day. You have just ruled over your flesh. And just by waking up, it will change things for you. I promise. Then you can start looking at adding some other stuff. One of the things I wish I would have noticed over the last four months is that I started hitting the snooze button for two hours. Seriously. <laughs> I should have just turned it off. <laughs> Every nine minutes, because I have a nine-minute snooze, I'm going to just know what you believe. Be disciplined. And then the last one, this is something that my dad started telling me when I was 22. And it might be the most important on the whole list. And I call it embrace the desert. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit about suffering. Every, the desert is suffering. That's what it is. And I don't, don't think of suffering as, as like poverty or any of those things. Suffering is when just life just feels dry. There's no life. There's, you just, you, people are like, what's wrong? You're like, I don't know. It could have been triggered by something, but a lot of times you start having contempt for like the things you love. You feel like you're joyless. You feel very heavy. Throughout scripture, and I don't know why God chose it, but the desert is God's chosen means of putting something in you that you cannot get through prayer or study or Bible reading or anything else except by going through the desert. And most of your life is probably going to feel like a desert. There will be some that are really, 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 really hard. And there's going to be some where it's just like, this has just been a crappy week. And how you handle the desert will determine, one, how long you're in the desert, and also, two, what God's, God does in you. And we right now, and this is true of, of probably throughout all of history, because we'll see, we'll do anything to escape the desert to escape what God is doing inside of us. And we end up like Israel, wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. He had just, it was an act of faith to leave Egypt. Sometimes a desert is initiated by an act of faith. Sometimes it's initiated by God. When like when Jesus went out into the wilderness, says the spirit drove him out into the wilderness, into the desert to be alone with God, to be tempted by the devil. It could be initiated by a painful event or something that happened. Whatever reason it happens, it's going on. And God is trying to do something new in you and trying to put something in you, and he's probably trying to get something out of you. Moses handled the desert well. David handled the desert well. Paul handled the desert well. Israel, the nation of Israel did not because the desert is hard. But if you want to be a, a man of God, you've got to let God do something in you that can only happen in the desert. And I want to tell you, this is how Israel and how most of us handle this, this desert time. So first thing, they come out of Egypt. They come out of slavery, out of 400 years of slavery. And they meet some opposition. You're going to, hey, the devil's going to show up in your wilderness and in your desert. Like he's going to every single time. He showed up with Jesus. He showed up for Israel. He's going to show up for you. It's going to happen. You, you might as well just expect him. 
but they forgot that God had just brought them out of Egypt by signs and wonders, and they started to complain, and that seems to happen. Like, ooh, did you bring us out here to die? Everything was so good just a little bit ago. I thought you promised something. One of the things they forgot, they were hungry one time. They forgot that God was going to take care of them. One of the things I I really struggle with. God's going to take care of me. There was one time when they were thirsty, so God provided some water, and then a few days later, they forgot that he had provided water, and they forgot who, they started to forget who God was. Or they started, this is common, to look back on how great it was before they had left slavery. Come on, they complained the whole time. It wasn't, wasn't it better in Egypt? Wasn't it better back then? How often have you been stuck somewhere where you're reminiscing about how great it was in your good old days when you forgot that actually they're just kind of like normal life? But everything was so perfect back here that today right here, it sucks so much. I can't stand this. And you no longer get to be, you're not present in the desert. And so you start to forget like what God is doing. Or you're like me because I don't look to, I don't look to the back, to my past very often. But you know what I do? I, I plan out and control my future because at least in there, in my imagination, I'm in control. I don't have to worry about if God is taking care of me. I can provide for myself. I don't, I'm, I'm good. It's perfect over there. It doesn't have struggles. And so I miss out on what God is doing inside of me. And all the while, anxiousness is building up inside of me because I'm not surrendering to what God is trying to do in the desert, which is probably the thing I'm struggling with most. And I start to forget all of these things that God has taught me about what to believe. I'm walking through a valley of the shadow of death and I feel like I forgot that God's the one who led me there. He leads me in right paths for his namesake and he says that he's with me and I forgot he's with me and suddenly life starts to feel a little wobbly. And that's how most people handle the desert and when life starts getting a little wobbly and you start feeling like it's not going the way you want, most of us, we cope. We have a prescription drug problem in this country. Highest it's ever been. We're also the most anxious country that we've ever been. And it's permeated not just like the, the culture, but also Christian culture. And it sucks. We try to cope. We try to escape. We try to make it comfortable. The pursuit of comfort might be the most dangerous thing that's ever happened to manhood in history. You try to make your environment cozy. You've got to make sure that like everything is perfect. I've got my income. I've got my job. And you wonder why men are running off to these places to feel something because God's endowed men with the spirit to take, th take on things that are hard. The desert is hard. God's trying to put something in you. And instead, it's so much easier to run from it or to cope with it that you never get to experience what the desert's doing in you. And instead, you get to this place. And if you're like me, where you're crying out to God and he comes back and he starts reminding you. Because he always does. You don't have to get to this place. You can handle the desert well, and then you won't be there. You won't be like Israel wandering around for 40 years, learning the same lesson. You don't have to be in it forever. And David, David kills Goliath, ends up playing the liar, and the king drives him out by throwing spears at him. And so David leaves the kingdom that is rightfully his and lives alone in the wilderness for like the next seven years. And it was one of the hardest times of his life. And one of the things that he did is he, started, he did what kings do. He doesn't have a position in the desert. He's an outcast, but he still fought Israel's battles because he was anointed king and he did what kings do. 
You may not have a position, but I bet God has put something on your heart to do or to be, and you can still do it without a position. You're not useless in the desert. He also started to write Psalms like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't have food out here. I don't have comfort. I don't have a place to sleep, but the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he is with me. This sucks, but he is walking with me through it. He promised to be in the valley of the shadow of death. He said that he would, he is for me. He has anointed me king. He has called me. I know it doesn't look like it right now, but I know that something good is on the way because there is always joy set before you on the other side of the desert. And God, he is always reminding you, get back on this foundation of with God. And you can say in the desert, I'm suffering right now. Things are not going the way I thought they were going to go, but I know that God is doing something in me and through me, and there's joy set before me, and I'm going to, I'm going to, let, I'm going to let this suffering have its way. This is what the Bible says about suffering. Listen to this. James chapter 1, verses 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You then be strengthened by grace that is in Jesus Christ. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5. After you have suffered for a little, it's not forever. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and this hope will not put us to shame. The desert sucks, but it's temporary. How many of y'all play sports? Okay. You know when you had to run suicides? That eighth one felt terrible. Oh, get me out of here. Friday night rolled around. How glad were you for those suicides? How glad were you for those, for all, the, all those times that you ran all those laps that you didn't know? How glad are you for all the times you hit the weights when you didn't know what, was gonna pay, what benefit it was going to pay? You, like, you see no benefit of it. That's what the desert's like. You don't see the benefit in the desert, but it's very easy to skip the gym. It's easy to skip the desert because you can't see the benefit. But that's how God creates something new in you and inside of you. And by skipping out on it, you're not going to receive the benefit. And we end up having men who can't be men. And you can come on up. I was, um, I was a personal trainer at 24 for a while. And I, ha- I was up in Arvada, very, very, very wealthy area. It's very easy to get clients. It was kind of nice. I-, I charged people $100 an hour. I don't know that much, but it was $100 an hour. And I had, so I had almost exclusively moms for clients almost exclusively. And every day they'd come in, they'd drop their kids off for two hours and they would talk to me about their husbands, how their husbands were always at work and their husbands hadn't checked in on them in a long time and they were really, really going through it and I became their counselor. If you're getting a workout, you might as well get a counselor too. I was in youth ministry at this church for, for about three years. And then when I, I, was, I was at Lakewood especially, and you know, I would, we had to go pick up all of the kids at the Lakewood campus because their dads weren't, t- weren't there and their parents weren't home. And we had like things going on and I'm watching these kids wondering, like trying to figure out life on their own and their dad's not home. I was driving for Lyft after Andrew told me I couldn't work here and because I just needed an income and I, needed, I didn't know what I was doing with life. And I was just like, that was another desert season of my life that whole year after and I needed it. I'm so thankful for it. 
But I showed up to this strip club, gentleman's club, and this guy walks out. It's two in the morning. And he's wearing a suit, great haircut, probably 35 to 40, makes a lot of money, hops in my car and spends the next 20 minutes complaining about his ex-wife and how she didn't do everything he needed and how she left him. And he started complaining about his kids for a little bit and how they, couldn't, they wouldn't do anything that dad said and they, he couldn't get them to like do whatever he wanted. And, and, but he spent most of the time talking about his ex-wife. 40 years old, he's got all the money in the world. And he probably lived a very self-indulgent, selfish life for most of it. And that, maybe that's harsh. But I've talked to enough kids to know what's going on in their dad's life. And I've talked to enough adults who've, or enough wives to know that this, is hap this happens. When men are not at home doing what men are supposed to do, things go bad. You know what happens to that guy I picked up from Lyft? What happens to his kids? He had three kids. He's got three kids now raised without a dad. And he's got three people who, who are going to grow up wondering about lessons of life that they never got to learn because dad wasn't home. All of Lakewood Youth is that way. Almost all of it. God endowed men with responsibility. He gave them dominion over the earth. And one of those things, responsibility doesn't mean um, being in a state of power. It doesn't mean being in charge. It doesn't mean necessarily giving, getting everyone to do things your way. It means you're responsible for taking care of the earth that includes its inhabitants, your wife and your kids and your church and then your work. And it's strenuous, it's hard, but God has endowed the spirit of man with this kind of thing. He is, because he gave you the responsibility, he also gave you the ability. That's what he does. And I'm tired of talking to kids and, and, and moms, I don't have to talk to them much anymore where they're, where they're talking about their my husband's just not, 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 not the man I needed. And by doing these things, by knowing what kind of man you want to be, by knowing what you believe, by becoming disciplined and allowing the desert and God to have his way in you, you become a man that starts to change the world. There's like 300 of you in here. You're getting to hear what my dad taught me because of the man I became. And like, so my dad's like wisdom and what he's learned is going out. And he never would have gotten to do that had he spent all of his time making money and pursuing selfish ambition and comfort. It just wouldn't have happened. And you guys can be that kind of man. Will you guys stand up with me? I want you to hear me. You can do this. You can do this. You are not weak. You are strong. You are not a victim. You are a conqueror. You are not a victim of your circumstances. God has given you his grace and his spirit and he has put his seal on you and he's with you through all of this and he's given you the, the spirit of man to take on this kind of responsibility. And if you don't feel like you can, yes, you can. You know what I told you about my dad? He didn't come. If you've got generational curse, my dad broke it. You can too. And I'm living in the fruit of what my dad broke because, I, because like I'm getting to now like live a life no one else in his family did because he did the work and he leaned on God and he sought God with everything he had. There was one time I walked out into my garage and my dad, he was just on his knees just like this, begging, 
God for help and he broke a generational curse. And if you're in here and you didn't have a father, I'm sorry that happened. I really, really am. Whether he was gone or at work or wherever he was, I'm sorry that that's what happened. You don't have to leave that kind of legacy. You can change your children's future and your wife's future and your grandchildren's future tonight by deciding what kind of man you wanna be. You can do that. With every eye closed, or every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna ask one question. Being a man of God is tough. But if you feel like you're ready to answer the call, throw your hand up in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Now leaving your hands up in the air, I want every single one of you to open your eyes. Look around, all of you. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this on your own strength. You have a bunch of brothers in here who wanna pursue God and love people with all that they are. And you guys can get in groups together and do this together as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. If you wanna start a guys group so that you guys can do this together and start growing in biblical manhood, let me know. I'd be happy to train you. But like, look, you're not alone. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's become the men that we are destined to be. Let me pray for you guys. Father God, thank you for tonight. I thank you for, for what you have spoken into each one of these men's hearts. And Father, I know for me, I need as much grace as you're willing to give. And I know that you give the spirit without measure because we all need guidance. So Father, I'm asking that you pour out grace in your spirit. You strengthen us and you teach us in the way that we should go. We love you. Thank you for your son. And it's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man of God. Amen. Let's worship.